So Sarah invited Emma to go with her to church again, and Emma said no again. It wasn't the first time, it was certainly not going to be the last time, but Sarah just went, why, why this time? She just, why? Why won't you go to church with me? And Emma said, because I'm not, I don't have time for that nonsense. And there it was. There it was. Out in the open, just like that. Oh, I don't have time for that nonsense. Because Emma had gone to church one time before, it had been a long time ago, she had to really psych herself up for it. She was ready, defensive, not quite combative because she was trying to be polite, but she went into church with her defenses on to demonstrate to herself, if no one else could be convinced, that this was really just a bunch of nonsense. That it was foolish for all these Christians to follow Jesus in the way that they did. And so she had gone with that kind of attitude and had left and went, I have done it once, I don't need to do it again. Now, I've talked with a lot of Emmas. Sometimes their name is not Emma, it's something else. But what I have found when I'm talking with them is that they have already known, usually for a long time, implicitly almost, that Christians are wrong in following Jesus. They just, they just know that Christians are wrong in following Jesus. They, they reject Jesus out of hand. And if they ask questions, it is to disprove what Christians believe about Jesus. Well, this is not new. It's been around for a long time. In fact, from the time that Jesus first came, that was the response of people to see Jesus and to respond with that kind of an attitude, that kind of a motive. And so we're going to see that even here in our text this morning. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, beginning In verse 1, this is what we read. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus. They came up. Jesus has uh, crossed the water again. He has uh, done all of the healings. He did the the feeding of the 4,000 people, and he has gotten into the boat and crossed over with his disciples, and he's on the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee again. And the Pharisees and Sadducees together come up. Now, these are two groups that they don't always get along. They don't believe all of the same things, but, but they both know this Jesus. There's something weird with him. There's something weird with him. And so they, they both want to uh, test him. They want to test him. They want to find out why it is that it's not right to follow Jesus. Right? Why all these other people are wrong in their following Jesus. So they're going to test him. And the way that they test him in this instance is they say, we want you to show us a sign from heaven proving that you are who you say you are. They've tested him with questions before. Now they're testing him with signs. We want to see a sign from heaven. We want you to do something that demonstrates from heaven that you are who you say you are. Now, what was their motive in doing that? 
What was their purpose in doing that? Their motive in doing that was to disprove Jesus, right? That was their heart's intention, to test him, to prove him to be wrong. That's why they were doing this. In fact, we have seen before, not long ago, only verses ago, the very miraculous things that Jesus was doing. In, in fact, uh, Matthew talks about it in such an um, offhanded way. Do you remember that? That, that uh, at the end of chapter 15... How did that talk about it? Jesus went on from there. This is uh, verse 29 of Matthew 15. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and he sat down there. And the great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them all. And do you remember we talked about that last week, how amazing this is that Jesus heals any mute people, any blind people, any lame people, any crippled people, that he healed even one is amazing, and he healed them all. So that Matthew condenses it down into just one verse. And they brought him all these types of people, and he just healed everybody. And unless, in case you weren't convinced by that, then afterwards they didn't have any bread, and Jesus goes, let's feed these guys. And the disciples said, well, all we've got is these seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And Jesus says, that's fine, let's pass that out. And he breaks the bread, and he breaks the fish, and he passes it out, and they feed 4,000 men. And all of the women, and all of the children, and everybody ate so that there was no lack in any way, and afterwards they collected seven baskets full of food. And now, after that episode, they cross to the other side of the lake, and the Pharisees and Sadducees come up and they say, we want you to do something that proves you are who you say you are. And you just have to say, um, guys, what more do you want? What more could you see than what he has already done? And so this is how Jesus responds to them in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 16. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. They would look and they would see, I don't understand exactly how this worked for them, so I'm going to translate it into Oregonese, okay? Because here we are in Oregon. You look outside and you say, oh, the sky is gray with clouds. It looks like it's going to be calm today. And then you look out in the morning and you say, oh, the sky is dark gray with clouds. I think it's going to rain today. That you can look out and you can see the skies and you can say, oh, I can see this is what the weather looks like today. It looks like it's going to be a nice cloudy day. It looks like it's going to be a not nice cloudy day. It's gray either way. We're in Oregon. They looked and they saw the sky was red in the morning or the sky was red in the evening and they could tell this means, uh-oh, that's a threatening red sky or, oh, that's a peaceful red sky. It looks like the weather is going to be good. It looks like the weather is going to be bad. 
And he said, you look at the sky and the red of the sky tells you, it tells you what the weather is going to be. And yet, you are unable to discern the signs of the times. You're unable to see what's happening. Because Jesus has been walking around and teaching and talking and healing and feeding and ministering to people, and they have seen it, and they have seen it, and they had heard the reports from others, and they are now still testing, poking, pushing, trying in some way to disprove Jesus. And he says, guys, that, you're looking around at the signs for the sky, and you know how to read it, but when you're looking at the signs of the times, why can't you tell what's going on? Why can't you understand? Verse 4. For an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. There is, there is something inherent about this that is an evil intention of the heart that comes with this questioning, I want to see a sign, I want to see a sign, I want to see a sign. I will not believe unless I see a sign from heaven. I talked with a young man one time about that. He said, I want to see a sign. I will never believe in God until I see a sign from heaven. I said, what would count as a sign from heaven? He said, I'd need to see the sun go backwards like it did in the Old Testament. That's how I would know. I spent the next two years praying that the sun would go backwards for this guy. <laughs> because I, I hadn't yet understood this, that there is in the intention of the heart somebody who will say, I have already decided that I don't believe in Jesus. I have already decided that I don't believe in Jesus. And so what they put up is, uh, this, is what would take, this is what it would take to convince me. This is what it would take to convince me. In no way being sincere about that. Because they have already decided, and in their minds and in their hearts, they already know there is nothing. There is nothing that could be done, that would change my mind about this. This is very different than the person who has doubts, right? The person who has doubts comes and has the motive of asking questions to seek truth and understanding, and they want to ask and know, could this be? But the Pharisee and the Sadducee and the person that is, has already rejected God, they're not asking, could this be? They are saying, this can't be. This can't be. I must prove that this can't be. I must prove that this can't be. They will create reasons to disbelieve in Jesus. Well, what happened? But didn't Jesus just break all that bread and pass it out? Weren't there only seven loaves and 4,000 men? How did all those people eat? How did we collect the food afterwards? Well, I don't know, but it can't be that Jesus broke seven loaves of bread and fed 4,000 people with it. That can't be. I'm going to have to see some other sign. 
Well, how was it that he healed those mute people? Well, maybe they weren't mute. Well, how was it that he healed those blind people? I don't know, but it can't be that it is because he is who he says he is. It must be something else. Show me something, some sign that will convince me. Show me some sign from heaven. And here they come, and Jesus says, it is of an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Except the sign of Jonah? What does that mean? Except the sign of Jonah. Do we remember who Jonah is? Jonah's that prophet that uh, didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? uh, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because otherwise my judgment is coming. And and Jonah goes, nope, not going to do that. And so he goes to not Nineveh the other way. Huge storm. He recognizes this storm is from God. It's going to kill everybody on the boat. Everybody on the boat recognizes this storm is from God. We don't know what's going on. Jonah goes, you're going to have to throw me overboard to appease God because I did something really bad. So throw me overboard. And so they throw him overboard and he ends up sinking, swallowed by a fish, dumped out on the sands of Nineveh. And then he preaches the lamest sermon ever. His sermon was this. God's coming and you're all going to die. And having preached the lamest sermon ever, everyone in the whole city repented. And God didn't kill them because they repented of their sin. And he was angry about it. Did Jonah give those people any sign? No, he just gave them one message. God is coming with judgment. That was the whole message of Jonah. There was no sign. The only sign was to Jonah himself, right? That he spent those three days in a fish and was spit out. And that's actually, Matthew has made reference to this before in Matthew chapter 12. You're going, wait, didn't we talk about this before? Travis, I feel like you've already preached this sermon. Well, that was back in Matthew chapter 12. Let's look there. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So he said, look, this is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is just like Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish. The Son of Man is going to spend three days in the heart of the earth. That's going to be the sign. That's going to be the only sign you're going to get. Now, had they been able to interpret the times in the way that they were able to interpret the skies, they've already gotten plenty of signs. Right? They've already gotten plenty of signs. They've already seen the miracles. They've already heard the teachings that was like nothing they'd ever heard before. 
They'd already seen the miraculous feedings and healings. They've already seen and heard all of that. There should be plenty of signs for them to interpret. And Jesus says, but I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. The Son of Man is going to go into the heart of the earth and then rise again. What an amazing sign that will be. I mean, for the Pharisees, for the Sadducees, as Jesus is saying this in Matthew chapter 16, they don't yet know what that means. The disciples sitting there, they haven't a clue. Sign of Jonah, three days in the heart of the earth. One of those weird things that Jesus says. One of those weird things that Jesus says. But for you and for me, we already have the benefit of being able to look back 2,000 years and hear the end of the story. We know exactly what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that at the end of his ministry, they are going to reject him and they are going to kill him. Their hatred for Jesus is going to go beyond the testing It's going to go beyond antagonism. It's going to go all the way to, we are so fed up with this guy, we are going to kill him. We're going to turn him over to the Romans. They're going to stick him on a cross, and he is going to die on that cross, and we're going to make sure of it. And then we're going to watch them bury him in the ground, put him in the the cave, and put the stone over it, and we're going to go, ha, Jesus is dead. We're done with that guy. except that's only going to last for three days. And then that guy is going to come back from the dead. He's going to rise up and come out of the grave, and that will be the sign for them that they were very wrong about Jesus. Will they believe at that point? Will they believe when Jesus is crucified, they watch him with their own eyes, they see him buried in the, in the, the tomb, and then they hear all of the reports about Jesus rising from the dead? Will they at that point believe? They go back, they check the tomb, it's empty, what's going on? Certainly that would change their minds, right? Like the sun going backwards, an hour in the sky, then certainly that would change their minds, right? No. No, because for the person who has already decided, nothing is going to change their minds. Nothing is going to change their minds. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And so he left them and departed. And Jesus gets back in the boat, I presume, and leaves again. Jesus just keeps going from one place to another. There's just all these transitions in the book of Matthew. Every time Matthew wants to tell you about something new, he makes this transition of Jesus going from one place to another. He just keeps leaving places, moving on. And in this case, Jesus has shown up, has talked with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, has engaged in this conflict with them where they're kind of combative, And he says his piece, puts it to rest, and then he just gets out of there. He's done arguing with them. But, But 
That's fresh in Jesus' mind, is this conflict that he's just had with the Pharisees and his concern about that. And so that's fresh in his mind as he goes to talk with his disciples in what's about to happen next. The disciples, however, they have something else in their mind. Let's see what that is. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, Oh, we brought no bread. We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And Jesus, fresh in his mind, he's coming from this conflict with the Pharisees and the Sadducees where they have been testing him and asking him for a sign so that they can disprove him. And he comes to his disciples and he says, guys, I just want you to be aware, watch out for that leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples are starting to get kind of hungry because they've just crossed over this lake again and they're like, oh. Leaven, bread, we forgot the bread. Again, again we forgot the bread. Right, because they, had, didn't, they didn't have enough bread for all of those people, right? They didn't even have enough bread for themselves on the other side of the lake when Jesus had to feed 4,000 people with only seven loaves. And now they don't have any bread again. Oh my goodness, Jesus is going to be angry Jesus is going to be so frustrated with us that we keep forgetting the bread because we're going to be hungry. Maybe they're already a little hungry. And they just know, Jesus is so amazing and I hate to let him down. They're so preoccupied with what they have and haven't brought that they can't hear the teachings of Jesus. And so they say, to, they say among themselves, what are we going to do? Jesus is hungry and we don't have any bread. And Jesus is going, guys, come on. When they reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. And Jesus, being aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves of the five, for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Don't you remember, guys, that just like one and a half chapters ago, there were 5,000 people who were hungry? And how much bread did you have? Well, we had five loaves. And how many fish did you have? We had two. Did anybody go hungry? No. Was there any food left over? Yeah. How much food was left over, guys? Twelve baskets. Do you remember how just like one chapter later... How many people were there that were hungry? 4,000. How many loaves of bread did you have that time? Seven. How many fish? Just a few. Did everybody eat? Was everybody satisfied? Yeah. 
Anything left over? Yeah, seven baskets left over. Then how can you think that I'm talking about bread? How can you not get it, oh you of little faith? How can you doubt my ability to take care of you? How can you doubt that you don't need to bring anything? I will take care of you. I can watch out for you. Why would you think I would be worried about the bread? Have I ever been worried about the bread before? No. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you doubting ones. Now, what's the difference here between the disciples and the Pharisees and Sadducees? Right? The Pharisees and Sadducees had no faith. The disciples here don't have much faith. What's the difference? These disciples are seeking to understand and they don't get it yet. And I want you to know it's okay to not get it yet. It is okay to doubt. It's okay to not fully understand who Jesus is. It's okay to wonder, can this really be? Does Jesus really love me? Do I really not have to bring anything to the table for Jesus to be satisfied with me? It's okay to wonder those things. It's okay to have those doubts. But when you're asking the questions, seek to understand that which is true. Seek to understand that which is true. Because the unbelieving one, the skeptical one, comes with the motive of poking holes to prove that they were already right. And the doubting one, the one with little faith, comes without understanding, but seeking to know and understand. And so Jesus, recognizing this, says, Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now I read that and go, Really? I mean, you, you told them that they were wrong in their understanding about bread, but that you didn't explain at all, really, Jesus. You'd still leave me wondering what you're talking about. What do you mean the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And in this point, I'm more confused than the disciples because the disciples get it. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh! He wasn't talking about bread. It's not that we didn't bring enough bread. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's talking about their teachings. And I have to commend the disciples because a lot of times I go, guys, how come you didn't get it yet? And in this case, they got it before me. I needed Matthew to explain it to me. I really appreciate the note that Matthew made in this story here so that people that are a little slow on the uptake like me can pick it up. So he puts in a little footnote. Hey, by the way, just in case you didn't get it like the disciples did, 
I want you to know that what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees is their teachings, is their teachings. Now, you may recall that we have talked about leaven before. We've talked about leaven before because in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And when we did that, we talked about how when you're taking bread dough, you can take a little bit of yeast and you can put it in the dough and pretty soon it works its way through the whole dough, right? And the longer you give it, the more it works its way through the whole dough so that the dough starts to rise because the yeast multiplies inside. That's what the leavening does. It, it multiplies inside, it releases gases as it eats and things, and then it, it, it causes the whole thing to expand as it permeates the whole dough. And so when Jesus is warning the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what he's saying is, listen, be careful not to grab onto, to swallow and accept their teachings. Because like leaven, it will start to pervade and permeate all of you. What happened with those Pharisees? What happened with those Sadducees? They had some doubts and they said, you know what? Instead of inquiring to seek and understand, we are going to poke holes because we know that's not right. We know all of those people who are following Jesus, they're wrong. Let's go prove that they're wrong. And they tried. Multiple times they tried. It was this teaching of unbelief that Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus was not the one that we were expecting for. He is not from God. That is what the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were teaching. No, 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 no. That is not how it is. We must, be, uh, we must do our performance so that God will accept us. We cannot accept that guy. Do not believe in him. Do not follow him. And what's going to happen for these Pharisees and Sadducees is that as they see one teaching and hear one miracle and another miracle from Jesus, they reject that and then they reject that and then they reject that and then they reject that and it builds and builds until at some point Jesus dies, goes into the tomb and comes out again and they still don't believe. Because that heart and inclination toward unbelief is going to just lead you there, away from God, away from Jesus. This is something that we have to be careful of. We have to be careful of this. That we aren't just hearing things and saying, oh, nope, I have already rejected that. But that we would hear it and test it and say, wait, is that true? Could that be true? that we seek to understand, that we wrestle through it and say, I want to know what is true. I want to follow God in my spirit and in truth. I want to know what is right. And so these disciples of little faith, Jesus warns them. And those of us who may say, well, I, my faith is not that great. I, I want to be one of those people with great faith, but I just, I, I don't know. Can I encourage you? That's okay. You cannot know. But don't stay there. Be willing to test it. 
Because just like there are some who are like the Pharisees and Sadducees who have already decided and they want to poke holes and go, that can't be true, that can't be true. There are others who go, I don't want to test in case it's not true. And they want to remain in a place of very little faith. Without testing, without seeing, without challenging without seeking to understand, because they are afraid of where that might lead them and where it might take them. Some are afraid that if they challenge it, test it, they might find out that it's not right. Others are afraid that it will be right, and then what will God ask them to do? And I want to encourage you that you needn't be afraid Jesus is not afraid about whether or not he is able to take care of you, whether or not he is able to demonstrate who he is. He has already done it. We have a great record in history of who Jesus is and what he was able to do. He has no concerns there. And if we are concerned about what Jesus might ask us to do, should we learn more and understand more about the implications of what it means to follow Him, can I just say that we will just discover more and more the delights in Jesus? The delights in following God? Because sometimes I'm afraid to ask to find out more because I think if I find out more and I find out that God really is who He says He is, He might ask me to give up this that I really want to hang on to because I enjoy it. Don't worry about that. Because even if God does ask you to give that up, I can promise you that the result will be greater than you can imagine. That if he's asking you to give something up that you greatly desire and want to hang on to, it's going to be far better and you're going to be far happier with him than with the thing that you were holding on to anyway. Oh, us of little faith. We need to beware not to take on those teachings that will pervade us and lead us away from Him, but rather that we would seek to know and understand who He is. And so this is my prayer for you. This it comes from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. In him, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the, glorious, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. 
according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And this is my prayer for you, that you might be people of faith who are testing to know and understand Not to disprove, but to know and understand, to check and to see that which is true. And that as you check to see that which is true, that God might show himself to you, that he might reveal his glorious nature to you. That you might see the greatness of who he is, the height and the depth and the breadth of his love for you. That is my prayer for you. Let's pray now. Lord, we do uh, pray for this and ask that you would help us to be bold, that you would help us to be bold to seek and understand who you are. Lord, if there are those here today who have uh, not truly considered Jesus, who have already rejected him, Lord, I pray that you would change their hearts, that they would seek to know that which is true rather than having already decided. Father, for those who are here who have friends and family members that uh, they have been um, praying for and sharing the gospel of Jesus with, Lord, I, I pray that you would help them to be persistent that you would help them to uh, invite and to demonstrate and to show that you are great and glorious. And Lord, for those who are here who uh, are timid in faith, afraid either of what they might learn or discover about you or what it might cost them to learn it, Father, I pray that you would make them bold. Would you increase our faith, both for our good and for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.